It is a blessing to be back with you. We were here about five years ago, and it's just a blessing. As, as he says, we've been faithful. It's a blessing to come back and see pastors that are still faithful. Amen. Some of the churches are getting away. They're diverting away from the Word of God. They're tired of fighting because it is a struggle to do what's right. It's, it's, it's a battle. Uh, but it's a blessing to come and see pastors still, and brother, brother Eli as well, see pastors that are still faithful, still serving the Lord. That encourages us. You know, we don't... People say, you come back to America for a vacation. Well, not really, because we're traveling around a lot. Um, but one thing that does encourage us is when we come back and we see pastors still sticking by the stuff. Amen. Uh, you have a good pastor. And uh, so I'm thankful for his faithfulness. You take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas began their first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13. They go to many different areas preaching the gospel. And they get to a point where they believe God would have them to go back through those same places, uh, encouraging the people and then establishing those churches where they had preached the gospel and, and discipled. So Acts chapter 14, we'll pick up in verse 21, which is, this is toward the end of Paul's, Paul and Barnabas' journey. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. When they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with, uh, with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Italia and thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. This is what we call furlough, where we come back from the field and we come to the churches that have sent us, uh, maybe not our sending church, but the churches that have been supporting us financially, prayerfully. And we come back and basically tell you, this is what your money has done. This is what your prayers have done. So it's a challenge. If you haven't been getting involved, then you haven't been able to reap from this investment. But if you start now, you can reap from the investment. It'll also be an encouragement. Hey, what we've been given to, sometimes you don't see the missionaries a lot because we're busy. We can't come back all the time. We're busy over there. But when we come back and report, then you can see, ah, oh, this is where my investment has been. This is what I, the riches that I have gained in heaven because I've laid up treasure there. So that's what we want to do is we want to come back and basically what Paul says, show you how God has opened the door of faith to the Ugandan people. We want to thank you for your faithful support now for 25 years. Uh, in January, that'll mark our 25th anniversary in Uganda. Uh, you actually started supporting us um, in 99. And so it'll be 25 years that you've been faithful in your support for us. And, and we're so thankful for that. We, we could not do the work that we're doing without you. We can't work in Uganda. I'm not able to get a job and make money there, so I'm dependent 
on churches just like this one that can support us so that we can go over there and, and do that work. Some people may not know what a missionary does. Uh, maybe they're not familiar with it and they think, well, what, what does someone do when they go to uh, another country? Uh, some start schools, maybe like a technical school. Maybe they'll start an orphanage. Uh, maybe they'll dig wells. Maybe they'll feed the poor. And those are all good things, and we have done some of those. But the main purpose for us being in Uganda is to fulfill the Great Commission. Amen. That is to preach the gospel. Those that get saved, we baptize them, and then we disciple them. And from there, we plant churches. That's what we're doing there in Uganda. That is our, our purpose. As far as preaching the gospel, it's very unique because in Uganda, there's over 50 languages. Every tribe has a different language. Uganda is the size of Oregon. You know, you're the state above you. Uh, Oregon has 4 million people. Uganda has 40 million people. Now, if you can imagine, I, I don't know how many, well, I know there's 40 million people in, uh, I think, in California. Is that right? 40 million people? Imagine if you had 50, now, you probably do have it, 50 different languages. But imagine if each county was a different language, a different tribe of people. So you go to Santa Rosa, you go to Sacramento, you go to Fairfield, you go to Santa Clara. It's a different tribe. It's a different group of people, different language. And that's some of the things that we deal with there in Uganda as we're reaching these people. And so it's, uh, it's very interesting to try to get as many tracts as you can in those languages. They don't have them, and some of them don't even have scripture in their language. And so trying to find someone that you've led to the Lord, that person can help you translate a good track that we've, we've put together into their language. It's, it's quite an ordeal just to get tracks in their language. But we try to do everything we can in reaching them. Door-to-door -door is a little different over there because they don't have housing uh, communities like you have here. There's no streets with names. There's no house numbers. They're just all densely packed into one area. And so you may go and visit one area, and it's like a horseshoe of houses, just little one-room, maybe two-room buildings, and it's all in one building, but you got a bunch of people there, and so you talk to them like that. So you could reach a bunch in just one, uh, one time. Uh, we reach people when we do business with them. As we go into town and we talk to them, they kind of ask you, why are you in Uganda? You don't, you're not from here, are you? <laughs> it's kind of obvious, but. And so we tell them, hey, we're here preaching the gospel. And uh, they get excited and they say, oh, maybe you could come to my house and share a word with us. So we make a, we, we plan a date and we go there and they've invited so many other people and we're able to sit down and share the gospel with them. We've seen many people get saved that way. We have outreach services where we will specifically target the lost people. We'll have evangelistic services. Sometimes uh, in the villages, you have a lot of elderly people. You don't have as many elderly people in town. When they get too old to work, they go to the village. Basically, they go to the village to die. And so you have a lot of elderly people in the villages. Many of them are considered worthless. If you can't work, if you can't dig in the garden, you're just eating my food. So it's kind of like, when are you going to die? So many of them just sit and do nothing because they are considered worthless. So we have aged conferences for the mature people. Amen? Not old people. No, not old people. So we'll invite them in and we'll play some games and we'll preach to them. And we've had so many of them that have gotten saved. By the time the next year comes around when the age conference is there, many of them have already died. But what a blessing that we've been able to reach them right before 
they died. We have people called boater riders. If you were here in the morning and you saw the video, there was just a, a couple of shots of a boater conference that we had, and these are guys that ride motorcycles. These motorcycles will take you anywhere you want to go, uh, and they'll take a whole family, seven of you, wow. one motorcycle. Uh, I am not kidding. That is, uh, yes. Um, I've seen cows on the back of motorcycles, goats, chickens, pigs, um, coffins. I've seen a three-piece sofa set on the back of a motorcycle. Uh, these guys will take anything and anyone. These are young guys. They, they're not really, most of them don't have driving licenses. They just, somehow they got a motorcycle and that's their job that they're working. So they don't really obey the laws and they're not a very, um, they're not looked on a good in society. They're undesirables. And so we said, well, you know, no one's reaching them. We need to reach them. So we said, we're going to have a Boda Boda conference. Yeah, uh-huh. That sounds good. <clears throat> Our church building can hold about 200 people. And so we made tickets for 200 Boda riders. If we just invited every Boda rider, it would overwhelm us. We would not have enough room. So we specifically said, 200, you get a ticket and you can come. We had 173 that came. So our building is full with motorcycle riders. Now, I know Brother Ray has done a lot of things, but has he ever had motorcycle gangs in the church? Wow, interesting. Now, we don't have the gangs like you have here. These are just motorcycle guys. And so we've got 173 in there. We have an aisle down the middle. And so we did several games with motorcycles in the church building. I'm not sure the wisdom of it after the fact, but we did it anyway. So one of the games was we put two by fours. We had two lines of two by fours from the front to the back. And they started in the back, and they had to race to the front. But they had to stay on the two-by-four, which meant they went slow, which was good. I was afraid they were going to run up onto the platform. And then one we did where they had to start from the back. They didn't have to be on the two-by-four, but they had to see who could get to the front the last without stopping or putting their foot down. So they still had to go. They went slow, but they wanted to go slower than the other guy without stopping. And so we played all kinds of games. Uh, we had motorcycles up on the platform where they were tying boxes to see how many they could tie on them. Uh, we did road sign games, which did not go very well. They did not know the road signs, which is evident in the way they drive. <laughs> we had the traffic police come because we hoped, we, didn't, we weren't going to arrest them, but we had hoped that they could impart some traffic wisdom to them because they are very careless. We preached the gospel to them. We fed them a great meal. We had several that got saved. Uh, as a matter of fact, we were talking about um, uh, Shane Tusker, or Tasker. No, we were talking about that with you. He led a couple of people to the Lord at that very conference when we had those Boda guys. It was, it was such a blessing. He, uh, he was really eager to get these guys saved. And now our church has an incredible testimony with the Boda riders. It used to be when you would try to, try to tell people where a church was, you would have to use other landmarks to tell where the church is now, Independent Baptist Church, oh, we know exactly where that is. It's the only church that cares for us. What a testimony. With the police, the police don't have a bad testimony. All, according to Ugandans, all police are corrupt. All of them are. And pretty close, maybe. <laughs> but God has given us a great ministry with them. We go, I go down and preach every Monday to a gathering of police. 
And because of the, the ministry there, we've seen several of them get saved and God has opened other doors with the police, but people don't care about the police. It's kind of like here in the States in many ways where uh, the attitude has so changed. I remember growing up, you respected the police. I just, it, it, I can't imagine when I'm in Uganda and hear the news of police officers being targeted and shot. It just, I, I don't get it. Uh, in Uganda, they're all corrupt, according to them. So we don't want to just leave it that way. We go and preach to them. Some of them have gotten saved and I say, do you want to change the attitude of the people toward the police? They say, yes, then it starts with you. First of all, you got to be saved, but then you live right. You do what's right. You don't take bribes. You don't use excessive force. You can change the mentality of people toward the police one officer at a time. Amen. So we've done so many things. We, had a, um, we honored a police officer that had been there for 50 years in the police force. That man has some stories. Some of you older ones may have heard of Idi Amin. He's got some stories of Idi Amin that you don't want to hear. They are incredible stories. But this man was faithful for over 50 years in the police force. And so we honored him at church, had a lot of police come. We gave him Bibles. That's what we do to people that are considered undesirable. Those that get saved, we baptize them. Not by sprinkling, not by pouring, but by immersion. Because that's the only method that shows the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we disciple them. What a blessing. When we first went on debutation, we came here, and I don't even know why your pastor took us on for support, honestly, because we had no idea what we were doing. But he had, I, I, I still picture it, he had this cardboard stand with those one, one step at a time. Is that what it was? Yes. He, and I thought, you know, that's a neat thing. That'd be great to teach people. So I, I think he gave me one of every one of them. And I took him over there and didn't really know what I was doing at first, but Obviously, some of the Americanisms don't fit, and so we kind of took that material and put it into a couple of books for discipleship there in Uganda. And that's how our discipleship program started, was because of your discipleship program here. And God has used that discipleship program. We have 18 lessons. We've, it's been a long time, but we've developed our own now. We have 18 lessons in this discipleship program, then, and that's discipleship one. Then you go to discipleship two, where you learn to disciple someone else. Discipleship three is then our Bible college right there at our church. Discipleship four is if you feel like God's called you to preach, there's more mentoring in that. And so God has blessed our discipleship ministry. We're so thankful for what God has done. But that is a key. And unfortunately, it is missing in many churches. Amen. It's not there. They, oh, they get people saved. They go with soul winning all the time. They'll bring them in and baptize them. And that's it. Amen. And so I'm thankful that the heart of our church there in Uganda is the discipleship ministry. Because of that discipleship, we were able to start the Independent Baptist Church in Kasese in 2015. Uh, we started in our dining room. We had like three, I think. We outgrew the dining room and we went outside under our tree around the picnic table. We outgrew that and so on the back porch we put some iron sheets so we could meet back there. We continued to grow. God continued to bless people getting saved and we said, all right, we're going to need a place where we can meet. So God helped us get a um, uh, a room in town. It was kind of in the middle of town. Uh, we started renting that one, looking for a piece of land that we could get and have a permanent building right next door on the main road. God gave us a piece of land, three plots of land. Uh, what a blessing how God provided that. It's, that's a story that God saved that land for us. 
I have no doubt about it. It was a dumping ground. It was rubbish. And when we went to clean that land up, oh, the things we found there was disgusting. But I'm just thankful that maybe that's what God allowed so nobody would want to buy it. And then when we came along, God gave it to us. What a blessing. We started the Bible college. My wife started a kid's class uh, to be able to start teaching these young people. God provided the finances to build the building one step at a time. We didn't have it at first, and we had to trust God by faith. And so we hired an engineer so that it would be done right, but all the labor was volunteer. And we came, we gave our time, we gave our sweat and blood, and it was hard because we had these big old blocks that were like 50 to 75 pounds each, lifting them up. Oh, it was tiring. But they gave their labor. And God provided that building, and step by step, he provided the finances. We started that police ministry. Because of the police ministry, we're able to start a jail ministry. In Uganda, to get into the jails and prisons, you have to... You have to fill out all kinds of paperwork, fill out all these forms, get all kinds of recommendation letters, and we didn't have to do any of that. Because of the ministry we had with the police, they said, why don't you come into the jails and preach to these suspects? Absolutely. (laughs) You don't have to twist my arm. So we've been able to go in every week to the jail preaching every week. Because of the jail ministry opening up, God opened the prison up. And so our guys are going every week into the prison Two guys go, one preaches to the main crowd and another works on discipleship with many of those that are going to be there for 20 or 30 years. But if they get discipled, they can begin reaching them in prison every day of the week. One of the men, if you saw the video, if you didn't see the video, I encourage you to go to our website and look at it. Uh, Just it's trying to take 20 years and squeeze it into about seven minutes. But I hope it'll be a blessing to you. In that video, we talk about Brother Brian. One of the men in the Bible college said he wanted to go and start a church in his village. We said, that's great. We want to help you out with that. And so we went out there. We started uh, having some Bible studies. We didn't start on a Sunday because if you go out there, you're starting a new church and you start on Sunday, that means you're trying to take people from these other churches. And you're going to start a war right away. And you'll lose most of the time because you're new. And those religious leaders will call you every name there is. Illuminati. Now, most Ugandans have no idea what Illuminati is. But when you hear Illuminati, oh, stay away from Illuminati. What is it? I don't know. Uh, They say, we're going to take them under the lake and get riches. I'm still trying to find one person who has ever gone under the lake and got riches. Normally, when they go under the lake, they don't come up. So we start on Tuesdays or Wednesdays or Thursdays. They can still go to their church. But anybody can come to the Bible study without keeping them or taking them from the church. So we're kind of under the radar. Bible study, people start getting saved. We start discipling them. They come and ask us questions. Now, pastor, you said this, but our leader said this. And we say, okay, well, what's the Bible say? They continue coming. More get saved. We continue discipling them. And eventually they come and say, pastor, we don't have a place to go on Sunday. We need a church here which means they have stopped going to those churches because they know they're not teaching the truth. And I say, okay, now's the time to start. And yes, the war starts, but now we have people that are strong in the word of God. They've been discipled. They'll not be intimidated by their former leaders. That's what we did in Karasandara. God provided a piece of land and a building, and now Pastor Brian is there doing a great job. We're so thankful for the church there in Karasandara. COVID came, and again, like here, it was something we'd never experienced before, and the president locked things down. 
And I know in America, because of our Constitution, there are rights that we have as Americans. Um, Uganda doesn't have those. And so you can't go and say, well, but we have right." No, we don't. When the president says it's closed, it's closed. And so at the beginning, because we didn't know what was going on, we, did, we had no clue about COVID, and we were very worried that from what all the media said, yes, people are dying, and this is going to be terrible. So we stopped all of our services. Now, the problem with that, because of the lockdowns, people had no food. They don't have pantries. They don't have refrigerators and freezers that they have food that they could last for weeks on end. They live from day to day. And so it's very difficult for the government telling people everything is closed. Even markets are closed. Now, how are these people going to eat? And so there's a lot of people that had to break the, the, the lockdown to get food, and they were severely beaten because they were out when they were not supposed to. But they had to live. Crime went up because people had nothing. They had to eat. And the Bible says you don't despise a thief if he steals because he's hungry. And that's the way most of these people were. God provided in a miraculous way, giving us almost $40,000 to buy food for people. We, we, we put all these packages together. There was rice and beans and, and flour and oil and salt and different things. And we would be able to go not only around the church and our church members, but into the villages and give out packages of food to people. What a blessing. Our church had a tremendous testimony. Because of that, even people got saved. One guy who's in Bible college today got saved because of the COVID food that we gave him. And he's blind. And he's in Bible college. What excuse do we have? Amen. Amen. Now, the second lockdown, we were a little bit prepared. He, he, the president opened things up after the first one, but then it came back again. And so he locked things down again. But this time we were ready. So what we did is we divided the church up into geographic regions in our town. Uh, our town is about 100,000 people, but it's, it's very condensed. It's, it's very densely populated. And so you, you might be able to start at one end of the town and go for one mile, and that's the town. So it's, it's squeezed in quite a bit. But the government said no more than five people together. And so we said, well, we can try to fudge a little bit on that. And so if you live in this area, you're going to meet at Fred's house. If you live in this area, you're going to meet at John's house. If you're in this area, you're going to meet at this man's house. So we divided up our church members into eight groups. And so every Sunday and Wednesday, we had eight groups around the town that were meeting and preaching the gospel and encouraging the saints. And as a matter of fact, our church grew during COVID. Uh, Satan thought he could close the church. Well, he closed the church building, but he didn't close the church. So we're so thankful for what God allowed us to do there uh, even during the lockdown. After that second lockdown was over, we were able to start a ministry with the pygmies. The pygmies are another, another one of those groups of people that are undesirable. The government agency that oversees the pygmies is the Uganda Wildlife Authority. They see them as animals. Uh, they don't treat them like people. They came from the forest. They live in the forest. They're naked. They eat from the forest. And so they treat them like animals. But we've been able to see some of those pygmies get saved. And I'm looking forward to when we go back to working more with them and hopefully we get an independent Baptist church there among those pygmies. The Fishing Through Footballing Ministry was started. Uh, Pastor Brian uh, really helped out in that. And in Uganda, they love football. Not American football, the real football. <laughs> Amen. Okay, the real football. Soccer is what it's called here. 
That's the real football. I, I never understood American football, but you use your hands. Can you imagine if they called it handball? We've got the 49ers playing handball tonight. <laughs> doesn't sound the same. But they love football. They, I mean, the, the, the World Cup, the Premier Leagues, all that, they are into football. And so even on the local level, they love to play. They don't have any equipment. They don't have shoes. They don't have balls. They have nothing as far as equipment, but they love to play. And so they may get a bunch of plastic bags and tie them together hard in a ball, and that's the ball they play with. So if you get a crowd together, you're going to have football. So he said, let's take that opportunity to preach to people. So what we did is we said, all right, we're going to sponsor, if you want to call it that, two teams, local teams. You're going to play this team. Whichever team wins, we're going to give you a ball. We're going to give you a soccer ball. Now, they love that because, again, they didn't have soccer balls. So the only thing was we get to preach. So at halftime or after the game, we would take the time not only to preach to the, the team, but also the fans, hundreds of people that gathered around. So God bless that ministry. We've seen many people saved. The church in Chinayobio was started because of that fishing to footballing. The guy said, I like your preaching. Come and preach at my school. We went to a school, started preaching. People started getting saved. They said, hey, we, this is great. We want to learn this. We started discipling them. We started having services. And today there is an independent Baptist church in the village of Chinayobio because of football. Amen. Amen. We started the mountain ministry. God provided the vehicle for us to be able to go up in the mountains. Uh, it, it's a blessing. I love going up there. We drive as far as we can. We park the vehicle and then we walk. Now, in old time movies, there's this idea of the explorer, the white explorer coming. Okay, the white explorer comes and he has all the African servants carrying all the luggage. You know what I'm talking about? There's a whole line. He's the, he's the explorer, and behind him is all the Africans carrying all the luggage. I hate that mentality that they are the servants because I, I learn things from Ugandans. They are not my servants. They are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But when I'm carrying all this luggage with this vehicle and I get to the point where I can't drive anymore, I can't carry it all. And you, we still have to walk another 30 minutes to the village. And these people, I never asked them to, they willingly grab the stuff and there's this line going down the mountain and up the mountain. And there's me, the only white man, and all these Ugandans carrying all the stuff not because they're paid, not because they have to, but because they want to. There's a difference there. And I try to tell them, no, I'll carry this. No, pastor, we want you to be able to walk freely because you'll probably trip and fall. So I need my hands free. <laughs> God is blessed in that village up in Ibuiriachone. It, it's such a blessing. I wish I could take you all up there. See the simplicity of the people, the humbleness of the people. As pastor was saying, nobody will ever know about those people in Ibuiriachone. You may see it in the video, you may hear what I say, but other than that, people don't know about the church that's in the mountains in Ibuiriachona. But there's people there that love God, that have been born again, and they are humble servants of God, and they are serving the Lord. And it is so exciting to be able to get alongside them and watch them serve the Lord. And they have nothing. They have nothing. What a blessing that the God has given us to be able to start a church up there in Ibuiriachona. We started a ministry to the street parking tax collectors. Now, these guys, you pay for parking in Kasese Town. And so what you'll do is when you park, they'll take a, a piece of paper and put it on your windscreen, your windshield, so that you have to pay. 
And if you don't pay, you will pay a big fine, and they will lock your tires up with these big old chains that have nails on them. Now, I'm a Christian, and, and so I obey the law. Amen. Amen. And so I pay this tax every time. Amen. Amen. The Lord is my witness. He knows I didn't, I didn't fail on any of these. But one day, my tire was locked up, and I thought, Lord, you know I've paid all my bills. I haven't absconded, if that's a big word. I didn't run away from any of these. I've always paid it. Well, sometimes there's a reason why the Lord allows things to happen. Amen. We just have to trust him. So I went to the office to have to pay the fine, and the owner was there. And again, oh, why are you here? You don't fit in. Well, I'm a preacher. We've got a church over here, and we're preaching the gospel. And really, well, why don't you come and preach to my guys? We call them meter maids, right? So every Monday and Thursday, I would go down and preach to these guys. They were young guys. For several months, it's like they weren't even interested. But I just, I just kept going. I kept going. Uh, and one day, five guys, or three guys said, Pastor, why don't you come back on Saturday and talk to us? I said, absolutely. So I went down there that Saturday, and those three guys got saved. Now, when you first look at them, you think, there's no way. These guys aren't serious. But those three guys brought two others from that street parking ministry, five guys got saved. Now, that's not a big number, but those five guys right now are faithful in church. They're in Bible college. They're in different ministries. What a blessing. And one of those guys, before he got saved, he said, I'll never go to church again. I've been with my family, and I know what church is. It's money. It's clothes. It's a business. I don't want any part of church. I don't want anything to do with it. He got saved. Then the lockdowns hit, and so I was discipling him. He's the one that came to me and said, Pastor, when is church opening up? Here's a guy who said, I'll never go to church again. He's the one asking, when is church going to open? God is so blessed in that, in that street parking ministry. Because of that, the preaching point up in Shanyarazi was started. We're excited about going back there to work with that one. Uh, we're able to go into the schools. We have great freedom in the schools like you don't have here in America. We can go into any schools. I could take someone. One of you could come. Every day, you could be in three or four different schools preaching the gospel. Amen. We need you to come over and help us. Anybody want to volunteer and come over? Amen. It's open door. My wife signs for the deaf. She knows you've gone in sign language. This is another one of those undesirable groups of people. Uh, because you don't have a lot of schools like you would have here, they are seen as retarded. Because they don't talk, or they can't hear, and when they talk, it, it sounds... Strange, and so people just assume they're retarded. They're mentally challenged. So people don't care about them. They are definitely undesirables. But I'm so glad that God gave my wife the gift of fingers. Not tongues, because they don't speak. But, and she's able to communicate with them. And she has taught many Ugandans how to sign for the deaf. And even while we've been on furlough, one of the men that she taught how to sign is now teaching others how to sign for the deaf. What a, what a blessing that ministry is. We were working on translating the scriptures into Lukonzo. Uh, again, they don't have the scriptures in their language. We're blessed. Amen. We are blessed because we have the scriptures in our mother tongue. They don't. Now, we can accuse them of all kinds of things, but we're blessed. So we're working on translating the scriptures into the Lukonzo language. We have a John and Romans that we're able to give out. We have tracts that we've translated, but we are actively working on the entire scripture, starting with the New Testament. If you saw the video, you heard about the goats. 
Anybody remember the goats, the dowry? In Uganda, you have to pay a dowry if you want to get married. And the tribe that we work with is the Bokonzo tribe, and they require 12 goats to get married. One goat is about a month's salary. So if you can imagine having to pay a year's salary before you can get married. That is why there is so much fornication there, because they don't have the money. Now, it doesn't make it right, but that's why the problem is there. And so what a blessing that uh, when these people get saved and we go through discipleship, they realize they're in sin and they say, Pastor, what do we do? I say, number one, separate. Before anything else, you separate. God is not going to bless you if you're continuing to live in sin. Oh, Pastor, that's difficult. I may have to rent another house for me or my wife. They'll say wife, but it's a woman. You know, what about the kids? And I say, the price of sin is high. You chose this, okay? You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to suffer if you want to do what's right. What a blessing to see them separate from their women. Some guys, there was one in, in the village up in Dibodi Achona, there were two. And so what the guys did is the guys just exchanged places. So the guys stay together and the ladies stay together. What a blessing. It wasn't an extra cost and they were separate doing what is right. So then they sa- I said, number two, you go to the in-law and you find out what that father wants. He may want 12, he may want six, he may want three. Sometimes they would come back and say, Pastor, my father-in-law wants six goats, I have three. I need three. All right, well, we'll pray about it. Guy would come and say, Pastor, the, the father wants six and I have four, I need two. All right, we need to pray about it. Well, we put out a video that just kind of explained the whole situation of the dowry. And I mentioned, if you had a goat that you could help with, not physical goat, but if you had the money to buy a goat, one goat was about $85. I said, if you could help out with a goat or two, that would sure be a blessing. God gave us the equivalent of 82 goats. Wow. And so in a seven-month period, we had 15 weddings. <laughs> uh, my brother likes to call us the wedding chapel. He says, you're not starting churches, you're starting wedding chapels. <laughs> but what a blessing that God provided for these people. Now, I didn't promise them anything. I never said anything to them until they came and said, we have separated, we need three goats. And then I say, God has provided, here's three goats. So these were people that have done what's right. Yeah, they made a mistake, but now they're doing what's right, and God is helping them. What a blessing that has been. Our church there in Cassese supports other missionaries. Amen. Amen. One of them is a guy that graduated from our Bible college. There in Kasese, one is from another uh, church that was started in Barada where we worked with that man. He graduated and he's gone back to his, his village to start a church. We love Christmas time in Uganda because, are you ready for this? In Uganda, December 25th, you always have a service, church service. You say that would never happen in America because I want my Christmas day, that I can walk around in my pajamas and do whatever at Christmas day and open presents. Well, we go to church. Amen. Not a bad idea. Isn't that the reason for what we're celebrating? So here's what we do. We take up our faith promise on Christmas Day. Amen. Wow. <laughs> Didn't, isn't that what we celebrate Christmas that he gave his son? So we celebrate it, what we're going to give to spread that good news. And I'm looking forward to seeing what our church is going to promise this coming Christmas for the next year, how they're going to... Uh, support missionaries. It's, it's everyone's responsibility, not just America. 
So our churches are supporting missionaries over there. Now, while we're here on furlough, Brother Joshua is leading the church in town. Uh, two of our guys are helping these other churches uh, as they're slowly turning things over so these guys can continue to be the pastor there in the villages. Pastor Brian is doing a great work in the church in Carasandana. We currently have about 35 to 40 students in Bible college that are being trained right now. Some of them are ladies uh, for Sunday school, teaching ladies, but we've got about 40 who are in the Bible college. What a blessing is that all the ministries are being done by the Ugandans. Uh, they're doing it. Uh, and I told him, I said, I'm, I'm, come, I'm planning to come back if it's God's will. But if not, you can continue. You have what you need to continue. Oh, we can always use more. I get that. We can always use more training. But what you have, you can take it and you can continue. Amen. When we return to Uganda, we want to, Lord willing, turn that church over in town to Brother Joshua. I'd love for him to be the pastor, which would give me the freedom then to take some of these other guys that have graduated from the Bible college and go with them to so many areas and start some other churches. When we first came to the district, there was one church. Now there's seven and I think this next term, we can have another seven. I think we can do it. Our plan is to work with them, encouraging them. Some of them struggle. It's a struggle for life over there. Life is very difficult. And so we need to encourage them. Some of them need help with some land where they can have a church. Some of them need help with a building uh, to be able to put up a permanent building. And so we want to help these here. We want to continue the ministry in the mountains. We need to print material, tracts. Lord willing, these Bibles, when they get translated, we have a lot of things that we want to do when we go back there. Lord willing, next year, we are going back. Amen. Now, here's my challenge to you tonight, and I'm, I'm about finished. What we're doing in Uganda is not unique to Uganda. It's not unique to Africa. It should be done right here as well. What is that? The Great Commission. Taking every opportunity we can to reach people with the gospel. Amen. Getting them in here, just like this morning, so they can be baptized and then discipling them and training them so that they can go out and do the work. You see, churches plant churches. That's what we're supposed to do. That's why you support me so that I can go over there and start churches. Would you support me if I came back and said, well, we don't have any churches started 25 years. What about our churches in America? Are our churches in America starting churches? You can be involved in that. You can be involved in soul winning. You can be involved in bringing them into church so they can be baptized and then being involved in the discipleship. Your pastor has a heart for discipleship. People being trained in the word of God. When we were building our building, they said, Pastor, it's too small. You're going to have it. You're the, you're the white man. Everybody's going to come. You need a bigger building. I said, you don't understand. I'm not trying to build a dynasty. I'm not trying to build this crystal cathedral. My job is to go out and get them saved. Obviously, the Lord saves them, but preach the gospel to them, bring them in, baptize them, train them, and then send them out. doesn't matter. If my, if my building's full, I'm not doing my job because my job is to send them out. You can be a part of that. You can be a part of it right here. If you were to look around to see how many people are here tonight because of you. They're here because of you. How many people this year can say, I'm here because of you? If you just bring one person, just one, lead one to Christ, bring them in here to be baptized, and then get them discipled, this church can double in one year. Now, that's not extreme. That's just one person. We ought to do more than that. But at least one person that you can make a difference in their life. Just one.
this church should be planting other churches. There's a whole lot of areas around California and other states that need churches, not just California. Are you involved? Soul winning. You've got neighbors. You have workmates. Uh, brother mentioned the store that, uh, what, what store did you say it was that, that uh, Safeway or something here where people, you, you probably know the people by name. You've been shopping there for how many years? Have you ever witnessed to them? Do they even know you're a Christian? Amen. Amen. Then discipling is not just pastor's responsibility. It's every Christian's responsibility to go soul winning. Bring them into the church so they can identify with Christ. They can identify with this church and then be involved in discipling them. This church can plant other churches. It can do it. It's God's plan. It's a great commission. My challenge to you is, are you involved in that in any way? I'm not saying you're going to be the pastor of a church someday, but are you involved in that work? Churches are not buildings. Churches are people. Churches plant churches. You know what that means? This group of people right here is to plant other churches. It's everybody being involved. It's not just the pastor. Some of you could be involved in all kinds of ministries here. Sunday school, that's a part of it. Cleaning, that's a part of it. There are so many things that we can be involved in, and it's all a part of planting churches. Are you involved in the work that God is doing right here in Napa? Lord's blessing in the work there in Uganda. We're excited. We're ex- we, we love what we're doing. We're so excited. We're ready to go back. But what about here? This is not any different than Uganda. We, th- we think, oh, that's the mission field. This is the mission field. The sign says it. You are now entering the mission field. Sometimes we forget it. But this is the mission field. And we're missionaries right here. Are you involved in that work? Father, I pray that you speak to our hearts tonight.